if community transport, and that's, you know, and I'm not talking about transport and community, I'm talking about the community transport model of supported and caring transport. If it's invisible to government, then it's not included when government is trying to solve wicked problems of ageing and loneliness. It's not involved when government's trying to solve problems of connection for people to get around their communities. So because we're invisible, we're also an invisible solution. Viv, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome, Emily. It's lovely to be here. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, so your background and also what you are passionate about? Absolutely. Well, I'm a social worker by trade. Um, I have worked across New South Wales, which is where I'm from, and Victoria for the past sort of 32, 33 years, mostly in primary health, community health services and child and family services. So when I was in New South Wales, I worked for Bernardo's Australia and we worked with very vulnerable children and families in the Illawarra and Shoalhaven regions. And I was really passionate about that work. And then prior to that, um, ran community health services for that area and started out my career as a youth worker and went into working in HIV AIDS in 1986, which was a really fundamental period for me of working out both what I'm passionate about, but also developing a whole broad range of skills that I've used throughout my career. When I moved to Victoria, I went back into health for a little while, um, but found that I really had a passion for working with children and families. So I went into um, become the CEO of Playgroup Victoria and then did a stint nationally in Playgroup Australia and ended up in my current position as CEO of EV Strengthening Communities, where all of that previous 30-odd years of primary health, child and family have all come together really nicely. Um, my passion is really about people having equal opportunities to live the lives they want to, um, to have equity, to be able to access the things they need to, to be really happy and healthy and feel a really positive member of their community. And I'm also a strong believer that communities need to support everyone. So in my current position in EV strengthening communities, our primary purpose is to work with individuals and communities so that they're strong and they're supporting the people within them, they're equitable, and people are thriving in those communities. Yeah, totally. And it's a super important and I think often um, forgotten or less visible need to to have services like this. So I I was hoping you could share a little bit more about um, EV Strengthening Communities' mission and, and the importance of these community services. So how, how does it help to assist vulnerable people in communities? 
Absolutely. Well, one of our primary um, services in EV strengthening communities is our community transport program. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But we also have a, a volunteering arm because volunteering is the way that people can engage with their communities. They can have an impact on their community. They can have an impact on the world through volunteering. So we run a range of um, projects in the eastern region of Melbourne um, that really try and improve volunteering opportunities for those people who um, have barriers to participating. So people with um, disabilities, newly arrived migrants, um, First Nations people who volunteer within their own communities but really should um, be able to volunteer in organisations outside of their community to give back and feel really positive members of their broader community. Um, we also have an employment arm that works on creating local um, employment opportunities. And we work with job service providers, training institutions, local government, um, and we work with business to create those local employment opportunities. And those two come together in that volunteering is often a powerful pathway into employment for people who can't immediately step straight into employment. Those people who may have uh, structural barriers, might have work to do before they're feeling confident and competent to move directly into employment. So the fact that we provide both types of services is really powerful for us in terms of strengthening people's capacity to um, be able to get what they need. Oh, you know, you can hear the passion in my voice. I'm very <laughs> passionate about um, mobility because I experienced it myself. My 90-year-old mother um, came to live with this just as the COVID lockdowns happened after she'd had a stroke and her mobility was severely impacted and it really brought it home to me how mobility is a social justice issue. It's. I'm definitely going to come back to the volunteering aspect as well because I think it's super, super important. Um, you touched on one of the biggest challenges being kind of uh, funding and the fact that it sits in this weird, um, weird place for for yeah. community transport. Um, and prior to to our podcast, when we first had the initial discussions, you'd also mentioned lack of policy. So. Um, this formalized legitimacy, but also like the awareness of the role of, of community transport. Why is getting a seat at the table for more formal discussions with, say, government and other industry bodies important to to your work, but also kind of formalizing, I guess, again, that, that community transport aspect? Oh, it's absolutely critical. And in Victoria, um, the state government for decades, so it's not particularly one political party, the state government here for decades has not recognised community transport as a service or funded it as community transport. It's a really weird world we live in where they fund it as a volunteer program and, and don't, haven't until very recently conceptualised community transport as part of a transport continuum for people. What that's done is... Yes, it's decreased government investment at the local, at the state level in community transport services, 
but it's also created perverse solutions. If community transport, and that's, you know, and I'm not talking about transport in community, I'm talking about the community transport model of supported and caring transport. If it's invisible to government, then it's not included when government is trying to solve wicked problems of ageing and loneliness. It's not involved when government's trying to solve problems of connection for people to get around their communities. So because we're invisible, we're also an invisible solution. And more recently, and it's, you know, um, it's been a real testament to the fact that the current Victorian government is starting to recognise community transport and funding um, the peak body to try and prosecute the case to the various departments, um, that community transport is here. It is it is not well-funded, um, but it is here as a solution to many of the issues that they're trying to to solve at the moment. You know, if we're looking at healthy ageing, uh, mobility is critical to healthy ageing, yet we're not involved in those conversations because we are invisible. So it is the perverse consequences, invisible in policy, invisible in solutions. At the Commonwealth level, we're funded in aged care and we are well well recognised in the aged care reform that's um, coming. But we're not recognised in health. We're not recognised in employment. If people are in regional towns without access to um, public transport, without access to their own transport, how how, in, how are they going to get employment? The peak bodies for community transport, the Australian Community Transport Association is the national peak body, and it is doing a lot of work to raise awareness um, of community transport services. But um, you know, it's podcasts like this, it's stories, it's people getting involved in their local services that change the visibility of those services. The more people involved in community transport at the local area, the more barbecue conversations you have. Oh, I'm doing driving. Oh, what sort of um, what sort of service is that? Oh, my mum could do with that, or my dad could do with that. So, um, it's it's really important to give legitimacy to this form of transport, which has been around in communities for decades, poorly funded in some areas and inconsistently funded. So, yeah. not every community has a community transport service nationally. You know, and that's an equity issue. I wanted to pivot back to, to this volunteers conversation as well because I think it's super important. How has the landscape for volunteering changed, not only over your career, but particularly post-COVID? Um, what are some of the key challenges associated with that that you've seen pop up and how might we be able to fix them? Yeah, look, volunteering has changed in 30 years. So you know, that traditional model of giving a day a week for the next 10 years to uh, volunteer has gone and it's been going for, for a very long time. Volunteering also hasn't changed over my 30 odd years in that 
there's formal volunteering. So you can say, I volunteer at my local op shop. That's formal volunteering. Then there's all the informal stuff that happens that people don't call volunteering, but it is volunteering. If you're in a community playgroup and you're on the committee of that community playgroup that keeps it alive and in, in your local region, you're a volunteer. If you are a parent who goes into school to help with the reading program, you are a volunteer. If you um, support your local neighbours, driving them to medical appointments or driving them to do some shopping or that, you are a volunteer. And that's what we call informal volunteering. Most people don't recognise that. And that's been, that's been the case for decades. But it is volunteering. And it does, and it does have the same right to be supported and strengthened as formal volunteering. Pre-COVID, we were talking to organisations who utilise volunteer workforces um, about the changing landscape about how people want to volunteer. And people want to volunteer in shorter births, in project-based volunteering that fits with all the other things that people are doing in their life now. People's recognition that, look, I don't want to, I don't have time to do a day a week, but if it was a Friday morning between 10 and, and 1, I could volunteer. Previously, they could go to volunteer resource centres in their region and talk to people and find the right opportunities um, that they could. Unfortunately, the Commonwealth Government defunded volunteer resource centres nationally in 2020, um, and that has really created a huge problem for people who want to volunteer but have nowhere to go, can't navigate their way um, to understanding what opportunities exist in their community. Um, and through my service, CV Strengthening Communities, we undertook some pretty groundbreaking research um, at the end of last year, early this year, um, to have a look at both sides of the coin, which is how do we get more people volunteering post-COVID? Because that dried up a lot of volunteering in the older age groups, traditionally volunteers were over 65 and COVID hit that population very hard and they've not returned in the same way to volunteering. But we've got younger people who do want to volunteer. They want to make a difference in their community, but they don't know how to navigate those opportunities. Um, and the research we did looked at people who'd never volunteered, but who wanted to. Biggest issue for those was navigation. Where do I go? Where do I find out opportunities? The other side of that coin um, is not only about how people find volunteering, but about what's on offer, how organisations offer those opportunities. And organisations have to be more flexible. Our, our current research found that a lot of organisations don't identify themselves as volunteer-involving organisations. Um, and if we market that term to them, they're going to close their ears because they're not a VIO. But the message 
that we need to get through to those organisations is you need to understand how people want to volunteer in your community and offer opportunities that match that. Otherwise, continuing to have that old traditional model of volunteering as the only option will stop people coming to you. On that, because of that changed landscape, what would be like one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's never volunteered um, and would like would like to get started either in community transport or other? I'd say give it a go. Be really clear about um, your reason for volunteering. A lot of um, people are keen to volunteer to have an impact on their community and that is awesome. So I'll talk Victoria now. Um, find out who are those organisations who are leading the volunteer management activity and you can do that through the peak body volunteering Victoria and connect with them because more often than not those organizations were the volunteer resource centers that were defunded so they still have that expertise there to help you. In other states of Australia uh, you have your volunteering peak organizations um, who can assist you but they can't assist you to find those very local opportunities now Um, so you can go on to seek volunteering and have a look at the opportunities that are in your local community don't feel dejected if you approach an organization and they say sorry we don't have any more opportunities that's great for that organisation, but your your enthusiasm to volunteer can be used by so many other organisations um, like mine who you know, are desperate in community transport for volunteer drivers. Uh, so recognise what you're already doing, but also extend that because it brings so many benefits to other people, but it also brings benefits to you. My, I'm at the pointy end of my questions. I've got two more for you, but we've talked about, I would struggle with this question if I were you, because we've talked about quite a lot of things from like more formalized pathways to legitimize um, organizations such as EV strengthening communities, uh, volunteering and the issues on and the challenges on those sides for both volunteers and organizations. So if you had to like do the cliff notes, what would you have as like the one key takeaway for listeners? So out of everything we've talked about, what would you have that like that top message be? Supported transport, like community transport, like ours, is the only way some older people and people with disabilities can get out of their house, especially those in rural and regional communities. So get involved in driving people. Um, the capacity to get around and do the things you've always done as an adult is something that older people and people with disabilities should have the right to maintain when their mobility is decreased. So you will be making a significant difference in your community to those who are mobility vulnerable if you put your hand up and drive for a community transport service. Well, absolutely. And if somebody wants to learn more about your EV strengthening communities, um, where can they go to learn more? 
Oh, they can contact me directly. Happy to via email. And that is Viv, V for Victor, I for Igloo, V for Victor, <laughs> dot Cunningham hyphen Smith at ev.org.au. Uh, they can call our organisation on 03-9870-7822 and ask to speak to me. Um, or if they're interested in looking at where their community transport services are, they can go to the BTCTA, Vic Taz Community Transport Association website. If they go into the driver portal on that website, they can see available opportunities in their local community for driving. Um, I happen to be the chair of the peak as well for VTCTA. So I am happy also for communities um, that are outside the eastern region of Melbourne to contact me um, directly on my email uh, for those broader regions and I can put you in touch with your local community transport service. Awesome. I'll chuck all of those in the show notes as well so all of those links will be in in those. Awesome. Um, but Bid, thanks so much for your time and and your 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 passion, I guess, in this episode. It's a it's a really good uh, initiative to to get a little bit of extra um, attention. Oh, thank you, Emily. I really appreciate the opportunity, um, and so do uh, all of the other community transport services um, like ours who do fabulous work in community. If you'd like to learn more about any of the guests that we have on the podcast, more about Bite Size, or more about Compass IoT, the company that produces this podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.compassiot.com.au. Until next time.